title of today's message is The Yoke. We're continuing our discipleship series, and we're going to be in Matthew chapter 11, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. Today we're going to be focusing on Jesus making this point about carrying a cross, and this time he's going to be using a yoke to exemplify this. And I know if you're not Amish or you're not an older farmer, you probably don't even know what a yoke is. So I provided a picture on the screen to what Jesus is referring to here. In the Old Testament times, and even probably into the early 1900s, people would um, yoke oxen together to plow for them. Today you see the Amish kind of doing the same things, that they generally use horses. But this is a, the thing that they would put two ants pull side of, and they would pull the plows, they would pull sleds, materials on it, pull carts, just all kinds of things that would be useful for farming. There's an interesting fact I came across when I was studying for this message, when I was wondering, well, how much can, a, can an ox pull? I mean, how many pounds? They said, well, a typical ox can pull about 5,000 pounds. But if you add another ox, and it doesn't just double the power of the single ox, it triples it. They can pull up to 15,000 pounds. I thought that was really, really interesting. And so these yokes were used to maximize these ox's power. And another fact about yokes, if you take a look at the picture again, what do you notice about the size of the loops around the neck? One is bigger and one is smaller, right? And the reason for that is they would typically have an older, more experienced ox with a younger ox. And they did that because the older ox would, through example, teach the younger ox what the master wanted, how to pull, how to behave while it's in the yoke, and how to maximize their efforts. So in essence, among these two oxen, as much as possible, kind of a discipleship happened when both animals were under a yoke. And I want you to keep that in mind today as we look at today's scripture, because we're going to come back to that point again. Now, the scripture we're going to be looking at in Matthew, as a quick background, Jesus is on the northern end of what is um, today known as Israel, preaching around the cities of the, around the Sea of Galilee. His message is beginning to grow a little sharper in that he's stressing the need to repent a lot more now. And he's often denouncing the religious establishment that is run by the Pharisees. And Jesus teaches the people what the answer is to many of their spiritual burdens. And that's where he's going next here in the Gospel of Matthew. When he says in verse 28 of chapter 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And Father God, I ask, Lord, that you take this, these words from Scripture and you speak to our lives today about what it means to be under the yoke of Jesus. I ask, Father, that you help us to see this as a positive and not a negative, that the enemy would try to put it in our minds, that we don't want to, this in our lives, that this is something that you have given us so that we can make it through life 
in a successful way and a way that is pleasing to you. Lord God, I ask this in your name. Amen. So with my new job, which now focuses on behavioral health and psychiatric nursing, I've been thinking a lot about how people deal with stress and the people that life throws at them. And what happens is a lot of people kind of, can kind of crumble under that, and that's how they end up with me as their nurse. Some people got there by using substances to calm them down, substances like nicotine, either through smoking, chewing, or dipping. Some people use alcohol to give them that sense of relief from that stress and pressure that life puts on them. Another way that's becoming very, very popular right now is people using THC. That's the thing in, in marijuana that gets you high. And within a few years, Wisconsin is going to be a state where it's going to be legalized. It's just a matter of time. Everybody else around us, it's legal. But really, the chemical THC is legal already in Wisconsin. You just have to chemically alter it a little bit from the Delta 9, the chemical, um, the chemical way of describing it, that's in pure marijuana. They just change it to Delta 8 or Delta 10, and they add a little oxalate molecule to it, and then it becomes legal because it comes from hemp. So this version of THC is actually more potent than what you get in marijuana now. And it's available at virtually every gas station in this county. But it's not just the recreational chemicals. You see it in the top prescriptions filled in this country right now. In 2023, I did some research on this also. Out of the top 50 prescribed medications, over one-third of them were antidepressants or used for other mental health issues. That's a lot of medications. Obviously, our world has a lot of stress going on right now. Obviously, a lot of us just are under the weight of all of that pressure that, and it's making us very weary with life. It's draining the life right out of us. So that's where we're going to start today. We're going to look at the weariness being experienced by so many people. I've been teaching on this a lot lately, but I want to again remind you that humanity is a spiritual creature living in a physical body. Again, we are a spiritual creature having a physical body experience. It's important to remember that when we talk about stress and we talk about the things that get you depressed, the things that get you worried, the things that get you tempted, the things that try you, it's because there is a spiritual war being waged against us right now. Ephesians says it like this, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. It's all a spirit. All these stressors that are coming on us right now, it's all an attack. It's meant to make us feel utterly defeated, feeling like you can never measure up and rip away any hope that you might have, particularly the hope of your salvation. It's deliberate. It's an attack. 
The enemy knows how to attack us in general. And he also has a dossier on you personally to know which kind of attacks work on you. And it's all to take our minds off the spiritual and get them on the physical. Because if he can focus you on the physical, you're done. You're fighting on his battlefield. He has all the advantages here, which is why God tells us to focus on the spiritual. And this works itself out in us with this stress when we allow the devil to influence how we think and what we focus on. You know, since Tammy had her stroke, I've been reading a lot about neurophysiology and, and exactly how the brain works. And I've been doing this to try to help her get back to normal to understand exactly what's going on. And one of the things that I read is how the brain processes memories. Real, and the truth I found is that your focus really does determine your reality. Let me give you an example. Your brain rewires itself to focus on things that are, are important to you. And the example I want to use, how many people at some point in their life had a breakup? Right? Every one of us. Do you remember right after that breakup how obsessed you were with them? How you couldn't get those people out of your mind? How you just could not stop thinking about them? You were wondering what they were doing? You wanted to pick up the phone and call them, text them, email them? Maybe even Facebook stalked them a little bit to see what they were doing. All of that stuff. That's because your focus on them created pathways within your brain and changed your neurochemistry so that the attention from that person caused you to feel good. Caused dopamine to be released into your brain. That's the, the reward chemical. But now that person is gone and you feel horrible because you can't feel good anymore. You don't have that input. And you know what another way to describe exactly what I'm describing right now? Addiction. You were addicted to that person. That's not a bad thing. I mean, you should be kind of addicted to the people you love. It's, it's natural. It's part of our God-given makeup. However, these same processes within our brain can also cause bad addiction. Especially chemicals like nicotine. Nicotine is actually one of the most different things. Whatever it is that makes you feel good, you can become addicted to. And it rewires your brain to need that to feel good. Now think about this. It's also how depression can start. And the enemy knows this. If he can get you thinking negatively for long enough, then he's got you. And there can be a little bit of genetic predisposition to depression that makes you more likely to suffer from it. But if you are a person who dwells on depressive thoughts all the time, it depletes the serotonin and dopamine in your brain. And your amygdala, which is this little thing right about the level of your ears that controls your emotions, will be more active. Your amygdala um, will cause you to have your fight or flight reflexes to overfire. It will make you feel anxious. That's what anxiety is. It makes you feel anxious. So your propensity for addiction will increase because you're biochemically desperately seeking that reward stimulation. You're desperately seeking something outside of yourself to make you feel better. 
And I say all of this not to give you a science lecture, but just to show you that what you focus on and allow to influence you in your life is, affects you. It changes you. And it enters through your spirit and it will infect, affect your body. That's why the Bible strongly cautions us. Every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Every thought, the good, the bad, the ugly, make it obedient to Christ. Every thought, run all those thoughts through Jesus. How many people here to, will be willing to share, you have a problem with anger sometimes? I do. Or at least I used to, I still do sometimes. Anger isn't always a bad thing. There are things we should be angry about. If you see grave injustice, if you see the abuse of the young or the weak, you should be angry about that. God's angry about that. But that anger should drive you toward action to defend the young or the weak. But I'm not really talking about righteous anger. I'm talking about a bad temper. Many people struggle with that, and it's getting worse. I know I harp on social media a lot, but it's created a sense of entitlement in many people that they are the stars of their lives and they somehow deserve admiration and worship. And when that gets threatened in any way, they lash out big time. Our modern society is creating very angry people, road rage incidents. People just slightly cutting off somebody and all of a sudden they're pulling over with a tire iron wanting to bash the guy's brains in. It's crazy. People are, are throwing away logic and being entirely driven on emotion. And I think it's a deliberate attack of the kingdom of darkness to change the way particularly Americans are to try to take down this country. It's also seen in the fake news on both sides of the political aisle. Fox isn't your friend. They're doing the same thing CNN is, just on the other side of the, the political aisle. They're just driving us to hate people. They're blowing up social issues into something that makes our blood boil and causing division within our society. They're trying to take us down as a nation. It's the enemy's attack. But back to the personal anger issue. If you struggle with anger, when you feel that heat start to blow up in your mind and in your heart, I strongly encourage you to stop. Take three deep breaths and run what you're angry at through the lens of Jesus. If you surrender that part of you to Jesus, he will teach you and he will change you to react in his way toward things. And I'm speaking from personal experience here. Remember, I raised my hand when I said I used to deal with anger a lot. When I was young, I was bullied a lot. I was a short little kid, welfare kid, socially awkward, target of bullies. I used to have to plan my way through the hallways to avoid certain stairwells where they would catch me or, or try to not show up to school too early where they would get me outside the school and different things like that. Well, one day I got beat up and I got a black eye and my dad decided okay, enough is enough. you got to learn to stand up for yourself. So he brought me to a martial arts tournament that a friend of his at work invited him to. 
And we got hooked up with the Townsley family, which owned Black Belt Karate Studios at the time. And I started training in Shotokan and Shurei-Ru Karate. It's Okinawan Styles Karate. My dad hung up a punching bag in the basement and in my room, bought me all kinds of gear I could practice with, and I was immediately addicted. If MMA would have been back there, I probably would have ended up as an MMA fighter. But I was just totally addicted. I would constantly work out, constantly practice in the basement. And within a few weeks, maybe a month, I could reasonably defend myself against most people. Well, one day a bully decided to try to bully me in the locker room, and I reacted in a very angry way and sent him to the ER. Bullies didn't pick on me anymore. That power, though, that I felt from that made me obsessed about being the toughest, baddest, don't mess with me person alive. In essence, I kind of became what I despised, a little bit of a bully. I wouldn't target and pick on you because Shotokan Karate has an oath that says, I will use my skills only to defend any attack against me, my honor, or my loved one. But I took that honor thing a little bit too far. So if you looked at me the wrong way, I might consider that a slight on my honor. I might have to beat you up now. And I would allow that anger that I had from being picked on for all those years to, to rule in my heart and in my life and how I would look at other people. And I carried that anger and, and attitude into young adulthood. And the military, I think, in some ways made it even worse. I call that version of myself, when I look back on it, Evil John is a joke. He's kind of still there. I just have him shackled and locked in a dungeon, chained under the authority of Jesus Christ. But I'm not that person anymore. I don't get angry quickly at all. I've learned to harness that through yoking myself to Jesus. It's taken years, decades even. But I've started, I took all those thoughts, all those slights, every time I thought somebody was insulting me, and tried to run it through how Jesus sees them. Someone at work just asked me, how can you stay so calm when we had a, have a patient who is screaming the most profane insults you can imagine, and they're punching, and they're kicking, and they're spitting, and they're biting, and, and they're fighting, and everything else. I said, I take my immediate thoughts of wanting to deliver immediate physical retribution, filter them through the, nation of Christ, through the nature of Jesus Christ, and out comes a pure response. And I don't share this today so you can look at me and say, yay, John. But to show you that even a person with a horrible temper that I used to have can change if you just stop and let Jesus be in control of your emotions. And we learn this through taking up the yoke of Jesus Christ. And I know when we talk about taking up a yoke, many of us might be thinking, Pastor John, I don't need another thing to carry in my life. I have enough, and frankly, what I have is too much already. But that's the beauty of this yoke. I mentioned earlier in the message of how a farmer would train his young oxen to accept this yoke. And that he would team the young oxen with an older, mature, and well-trained oxen to teach them how to function as a team. 
And here's the thing. The older oxen would actually take most of the weight of the team and do most of the work. He was bigger. He was stronger. He had the muscles in the right places. Protective layers of skin developed where the yoke was resting on him so it didn't hurt them to pull. And the younger ox was just pretty much along for the ride until they also developed the muscles, the protective layers of skin, and the knowledge to know how to pull, and most importantly, to quit fighting against the yoke. And that's where most of our problems come from. I met Christians through their whole lives have all these problems, and it's because they fight against the yoke. I had a person once who I had to actually go get him from the police station after he got into a fight. And he said, I can't help it. I'm just, I'm just an angry person, and that's just how God made me. I said, no, that's how life made you. That's how a lot of poor choices that you've made have made you. Maybe you had horrible examples. I had horrible examples in my life. It all wired you to, to react in very negative ways. But you know what? Jesus is an expert in fixing our broken wiring. He's an expert to bringing healing to those broken places. But you have to be willing to be yoked. You know, when they first put that, that yoke on a young oxen, it's like putting a saddle on a, on a wild horse. It's going to bellow, it's going to kick, it's going to fight to try to get out of that yoke. And most of us, if we're honest, we bellow, we kick, and we fight to get out from under the yoke of Jesus. But you know what? If you will submit, if you will follow Jesus and let him train you, and let him carry that yoke until you develop your spiritual muscles. You will know victory over those parts of your personality that you have constantly been repenting from. You can change. Just like that young oxen. I want to just put a plug in for personal discipleship for a minute because that's what we're talking about. Older men and women, you who are experienced people that have been through these processes, you're the older oxen, if you will. I'm calling you to remember to befriend younger people, even if they're not in the church. They're the ones that you have to teach and show them how to follow Jesus by example. Really, it's the whole church family's job to help young people learn to carry this yoke. So I just ask you to be in prayer about who you can come along beside and help them learn to walk with Christ. Because when we learn to take up this yoke and tie ourselves to Jesus and learn to walk beside him, we will find rest for our souls, just as he promised here in Matthew. Jesus explains through this verse in Matthew that he is that elder oxen. He begs us, learn from me. Watch me as I serve God. Read the Gospels. Look at how Jesus lived. Observe his life. 
and do as he did until someday you can become the elder oxen, teaching the next generation of how to follow Christ. And if I can speak to the elder oxen here, just as, a, just as kind of a, I guess, a word of wisdom, the younger oxen necessarily won't follow the same way you did. Church won't look the same way as it did when you were growing up. Our job is to instill in them the eternal truths we've come to embrace. Teach them the proper doctrine that the Bible teaches us. Let them form that spiritual fence line that will keep them safe. And then release them to follow Christ. The final thing I want to stress this morning is Jesus' teaching when he said, I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Even as we mature, Jesus is carrying most of this weight for you, if you just give it to him. So if you feel too much weight in your life today, it's making you stressed, crabby, and miserable, ask yourself a question and then pose that question to Jesus. Are you carrying the right yoke? Have you taken something upon yourself as a weight that, not, that God never intended you to carry? Listen, the enemy is a master counterfeiter. He's going to make it look like the yoke of Christ when it's the yoke of slavery. He is going to try to get you to carry something that God has never intended because in reality it's not the yoke of Christ. It's going to be something that is killing you from the inside out. Let's all rise. We're actually going to end in communion today. And I'd like everyone to ask the power of God to search us and know us this morning. And to reveal those things in your life that are holding you hostage to fear and to doubt and to unbelief. Because it's these three things will always cause fruits of anger, despair, and hopelessness. And if you keep holding on to these things, the Bible says that there is a consequence. In Isaiah 30, 15, it says that this is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, and repentance and rest is your salvation. And quietness and trust is your strength. But if you resist God, the next line comes in. It says you would have none of it. So if you don't have quietness and trust and repentance and rest, I encourage you to stop kicking against the yoke this morning.